As we continue our time of worship this morning, we want to welcome Christina O, oh, who is going to share with us the Advent reading for today. And so we are so excited, Christine, for you to share with us. So thank you for that. Grace Hill, here's Christine O. Oh. Good morning, Grace Hill. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 24 for the second Sunday of the Advent reading. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to, to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of our Savior's birth through this Advent season, we are so thankful for this most treasured gift, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and your rich presence among us abounding grace to walk in newness of life in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the victory and finished work of our Savior on the cross, forgiveness of our sins, bringing down the dividing wall of hostility or once for all through his body. And he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, 
wounded for transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. Through his nailed body on the cross, he brings life to the lost, freedom to the captives, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, healing, comfort who mourn, giving beauty for the ashes, and oil of joy for mourning. And help us and strengthen us, Lord, to experience the fullness of our Savior Christ, to know in our heart the overflowing of your grace upon grace, that the glory of the only Son from the Father, as John said, would radiate through our heart this season and each and every day of our lives, Lord. May you be glorified through this season. May we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Christine, thank you so much for doing that reading for us. And welcome, Grace Hill. We're so glad that you are here, that you can join us. Evan, thanks for uh, leading us in worship as well. Evan and the band, appreciate y'all. And man, even though we're not physically together today, we believe that God is faithful and that he is doing a work in and through us uh, for his glory, for our joy. And so we are, we are confident in that. And we cling to that. So we're glad that you're here with us today via our live stream. And we're excited to continue on in our Advent series today as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, our King, our Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. So we began our Advent series last week as Alan kicked us off. And really what he spent time focusing on was how God created us in the garden, how he formed man out of the dust and how he breathed into man the breath of life, and how it is his life, his strength, his vitality. It's his presence in us that gives us substance and meaning. And specifically last week, we looked at, the, we studied this phrase, how, how when God is not with us, we return to dust. When God is not with us, we return to dust, right? Because he is, he is the author of life. He is the one who animates us. He is the one who, who brings life to our being. And so apart from him, we are dust. Alan helped us to see um, the fact that it's God alone who quenches our thirsty souls like water and that it's God alone who brings purpose to our lives. And as we rest in him, he is the one who provides the why to the what of our lives. God alone brings meaning to everything that we do. He brings purpose. And so today, we want to continue to move through the story of the Bible, specifically the story of what happened in the garden after God created man. And, And we want to look at how this story relates to Advent and how it speaks to the reality that that God is present with us and why that is such good news for weary souls. So let me pray for us again, and we'll dive into our text here in Genesis chapter 3. God, we thank you for this Advent season and for the chance that it is, God, just to remember and to reflect on what you've done. We are called to be people of remembrance, who think rightly about what you've done and who fix our hope in the work that you have finished at the cross as you died and rose again. Lord, there's a specific thing you want each of us to see this Advent season, I believe. And man, I pray that we would miss that chance, but that we would really press into what you have for us to embrace what you are, the work that you're wanting to do, the, the work that you want to do to illuminate your truth to us. 
And so, Lord, as we look at Genesis 3, as we look at a heavy topic such as the fall of man, God, I pray that we would see the grace and the hope that is intermingled through this narrative, through this story. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear now, Lord. We love you, and we just throw ourselves at your feet and ask you to minister and to lead. Amen. So as we saw last week, right, as, as Alan showed us, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and things are going great. They have fellowship with God. There's intimacy with the Lord. They are, there's meaning and there's purpose. They are naming the animals. They're cultivating uh, the land with fruits and vegetables and all that. Everything is great. All is well. And today we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. So you can turn there in your Bible, right there in the beginning. Let me begin for us by reading the first few verses. It says this, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst or in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So pause, we're going to kind of just do some commentary as we move through the text. What's going on? So the serpent is causing Eve to question what God said, right? That's clear from the text, but, but even deeper than that, he's causing her to question God's goodness, right? He says in verse five, the servant, the serpent here is implying, well, well, God knows that you will become like him as you eat from the fruit and God doesn't want you to be like him. He's trying to get Eve to question God's goodness. Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves themselves loincloths. So there's now been a failure to trust God, right? They disobeyed. They, they failed to trust in what he has said, but also in his goodness. So they eat. They disobey, and in their disobedience, they now have their eyes opened, and they realize that they are exposed and naked. So, so what's the response, right? They go about trying to fix their own situation by themselves to cover their shame. They try to make fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Verse 8, and then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. One cool thing I discovered this week in doing some research was the word cool uh, is a word that Alan, I believe, introduced to us last week. That's the, the Hebrew word ruah for breath or wind or spirit. And so even though for our English translations it says the cool, man, this, this is a word that is just so full of meaning um, as it relates to God's presence being with them. So basically saying this is the part of the day when God's presence was manifested with them, the cool of the day. But the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked 
and I hid myself. And so now this is, this is kind of new, right? God comes down to be present with Adam and Eve, but instead of running to him, they run away from him, right? They, they hide. And they do this because of their shame, because of what they've done, because of their, their newfound knowledge that they were exposed, that they were um, to some degree vulnerable. Verse 11. So he, God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, okay, well, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to them, hey, why did you feel the need to hide? Did you disobey? Did you, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? And so how does Adam respond, right? He says, well, Lord, this woman that you gave me, not a good thing to do, Adam, not a, not a good idea. This woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So the Lord says to Eve, well, then Eve, what have you done? And Eve says essentially the same thing. Lord, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So, man, if we can just hit pause here real quick. And this whole sin thing is already just beginning to snowball quickly where they disobey and then they feel shame so they hide and then in their own strength they try to cover themselves they're trying to to fix their situation and then eventually when God comes and confronts them they fail to take responsibility for their actions right they shift the blame off of themselves so in just a few short verses we see the cracks really beginning to form underneath what God intended for his people the whole thing just begins to descend really quickly. And then here's what the Lord says. Verse 14. So the Lord says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's tough, right? So in these verses we see the Lord laying out this exhaustive list of, of the consequences, the repercussions for their sin, for their disobedience. So, so, so just to kind of summarize what we just looked at, here's, here's what we see. And, and this, is, this is effects that we all feel every day, right? The serpent first will be cursed. So, so the relationship between man and animals will now be strained, which is not as God intended it to be. Uh, I'm sure many of you might've seen this viral YouTube video going around of, um, of a hiker in Utah coming face to face with a mountain lion. So the guy was hiking, just enjoying the beautiful, rugged Utah terrain. 
when all of a sudden he comes across a mountain lion, specifically her cubs. And so the mountain lion was basically just defending her cubs, but for, for six agonizing minutes, this hiker is just backing up and yelling and cursing at this mountain lion, as I'm sure all of us would be doing, freaking out as she continues to stalk and to growl at him, and she even lunges at him and swipes a couple times. It's, it's terrifying. And it's something that, we, that seems kind of normal to us, right, that a, a mountain lion would attack, but, but this is a result of sin, right? It's not how God intended us to live in harmony with his creation. We see the serpent, of course, also is Satan, and scripture, as it, the story develops, continues to make that clear to us. So Satan, the enemy of God and his people, right? And so we see God saying there's going to be now a struggle between, throughout history between uh, the, the powers of good and the powers of evil, between the powers of darkness and God's people, the church, right? And we experience this every day on a very high level with uh, corrupt leaders and governments and systematic injustices that persecute people in the church. We also experience this in our personal lives every day as we experience temptation and brokenness fear and anxiety and the effects of sin in everyday life, right? The daily struggle between good and evil. We see that there's now going to be, going to be physical pain in bringing children into this world in childbirth, something that God intended to be amazing and a joyous occasion. And, and it, by God's grace, it still is when the child comes, but, but it has now certainly been tainted with great physical pain for the mother, or even complications. Perhaps many of you maybe have experienced infertility or a miscarriage, or maybe even just a really rough pregnancy where you were confined to your bed for weeks or months. This is not what God intended, but this is what happens when we choose to live apart from God. We return to dust. The relationship between husband and wife, as it says, is now strained. Again, something that God intended to be life-giving and a celebration of how God made us different yet complementary to one another. Well, now there isn't perfect harmony and unity in our diversity as men and women. There's now the potential for abuse and neglect and bitterness. And not just with the husband and wife, but with all relationships, right? Remember with Adam and Eve, as soon as God confronted them on their sin, what do they do? Instead of owning up to what they had done, they blamed each other. They pointed the finger at the other person. So, man, we experience relational brokenness with God and with people. God placed man in the garden to cultivate it, right? To see it spread and, and flourish and cover the earth and multiply in its beauty. But now it's through toil and struggle and difficulty that man plants and harvests food, that man yields his sustenance from the earth. But this wasn't God's plan, right? It wasn't God's intent that famines and that droughts occur or that even by the sweat of our brow that we bring forth our food, what we need to survive. But this is the fruit that is born from sin. And all this, church, gives way to the inevitable and the inescapable fact that we will all one day return to dust. Because of sin, death is now a reality. We all experience separation from loved ones, separation from this world, and, and as the Genesis story implies, separation from God. 
it seemed that we were without hope. So church, we have to understand that all of these things that we see here, God's saying, this is, these are all the consequences of God's absence, right? If God is the source of all life and flourishing, if he is the fountainhead of all that is good and beautiful, and he is, then it makes sense if, if we remove him from the equation that everything then deteriorates. What happened in the garden and what happens every time we sin or we choose the world or something else over God, we are in effect saying, no thanks, God, I don't need you. I don't need your presence. I can do my own thing. I can live this life on my own. And the Lord says, okay, that's what we see. And as we experience life without him, we experience the corruption and the decay that results when he is absent. We return to dust. When his life and vitality, which was always intended to be, to be coursing through our veins, bring us life and joy, when it's gone, man, we fade away. And we experience all the consequences that we see here in Genesis. So you might at this point now be thinking, man, Nick, Merry Christmas. This is a really, really encouraging sermon. Thanks a lot. But church, hear me out, because I believe it is in the darkness that the light shines the brightest. I believe that it is when we're in a place of brokenness, a place of pain, that, that the good news of a little child coming into the world in a manger can transform hearts. Jesus coming in humility and so unassuming and yet ordained from before, before time began to save and to rescue and to be a light. God taking on flesh and dwelling amongst us so that we might have hope. God himself, who loves you, who is for you, who has a plan for you and who is willing to get his hands dirty in order to meet you in your brokenness so that he can wrap his arms around you. It's when we embrace him and what he has done for us that we are transformed. We are changed by his love. Grace, what I love about Genesis 3 is that even though, man, of course, the fall is tragic, God, even here, is still faithful to give us these, these glimmers of hope, these brief moments that evidence his intentionality, his control, and that he's in charge over the whole situation, and that he's at work behind the scenes. So as we wrap up Genesis 3 here, I just want to give us a few quick observations of how God showed his love and care for Adam and Eve despite their sin. So let's keep reading from where we left off. Verse 20, it says this. So the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So, so instead of God just, you know, kicking them out of the garden, you're done, you guys messed up, you're out of here. No, what does he do? He clothes them, right? He provides covering and protection for them. And as we read earlier back in verse eight, this is something that they tried to do themselves with the fig leaves, right? So they're, they're trying to cover their shame. They're trying desperately to fix this, right? As we all sometimes do, trying to fix their own situation, fix their problems. But even in the midst of, of condemning their sin, he covers them. He gives them protection. He cares for them. 
And we see the tenderness of God here. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he, lest he and listen to this, lest he reached out, out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So they're kicked out of the garden, which I think we would all say, okay, Lord, man, I guess they deserved it. Of course, God is holy. He can't dwell with wickedness. I get that, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily seem like the most gracious or tender thing for God to do. But look again at verse 22. It says, behold, the man has become like one of us, God speaking, in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take hold of the tree of life and eat and live forever, and then he sends him out. So for me, as I'm reading this, the question is, well, why wouldn't God want man in this moment to eat from the tree of life and live forever? Well, remember that, that man is now in a fallen state. Man is now separated from God, right? Enemies even of God, having now been stained with sin and his rebellion and rejecting God. And so the worst thing that could happen at this point is for man to eat of the tree of life and live forever in a fallen state, separated from God, right? To live forever in a state of rebellion and wickedness. I mean, that, that right there, church, is what hell is. And God rescues us from it. So God removing them from the garden is like, man, it's like a parent grabbing their child from touching a hot stove. The child maybe sees it and thinks it looks cool. They're curious. They're just reaching out. But the parent, in their wisdom and in seeking to protect the child, they quickly remove the child from the situation so that they don't get burned, so they don't bring pain and further harm to themselves. And so in his grace, God removes Adam and Eve from the garden because he is holy, yes, but also because in his grace... Man, he doesn't want his creation to live forever in a state of fallenness, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. And guess what? God does this because he's already got a plan in place for what's gonna happen. He already has a plan for how humanity is going to get redeemed and rescued. And we see that plan actually already being foreshadowed here in Genesis 3, specifically verse 15. Check this out. Right? Remember, when, when God is condemning the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the women, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so, Grace, so what good biblical interpretation tells us is that the offspring here being spoken of, the, the he who would crush the head of the snake is Christ. This verse is actually known um, in theological circles as the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel, right? This is the first allusion to the promised one who would one day come and crush sin and death, Satan, by he himself being crushed for us and afflicted for us. So as soon as the fall occurred, God already had a plan in place to send his son. And so even, in, and I want us to see this, Grace Hill, even in the midst of the Lord speaking about the consequences of sin, there is hope. We see that even in God's dealing with sin, there's grace. 
He has not abandoned them and he has not abandoned us, right? God is with us. This is the entire point of Advent. So here's what we wanna do now. I wanna take a brief break. We wanna send you to your Zoom um, groups. Press pause in the sermon here. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to take a few minutes, 10 minutes or so, and discuss two questions. We're gonna pop these on the screen for you. The questions are this. One, how has 2020 been hard for you? So just in what ways, specifically, personally, we'd love for you to share and to just open your heart up um, in whatever way you're comfortable to those who might be in your Zoom group. How has it been hard? How has it been a tough year? And then two, and here's kind of the big application of today, and we'll revisit this later. What might it look like you for what might it look like for you to embrace what God has for you this Advent season? How can you press into what God might be trying to show you this Advent season? What might he be trying to lead you in, to heal you in, to comfort you in? What might it look like for you to embrace what God has for you this Advent season? So take about 10 minutes or so and discuss those two questions now. All right, well, hopefully that was a fruitful time of discussion for y'all. And as we know, the story does not end here in Genesis 3, right? It continues on and sin does enter the world, yes. But as we continue to move through God's story, the story of the Bible, the story of God rescuing his people, we see God manifesting his grace and his faithfulness over and over again in the midst of some pretty difficult circumstances. And so what I would love for us to do is just in the remaining few minutes that we have is to keep briefly moving through the biblical story and look at some of the ways that God continued to display his care and his presence to his people. And so as we do this, um, what I'd like for you to do is this. Specifically, as we look at various biblical figures and stories, I'd like for you to take note of some of these characters and to really just take note of which of their stories most resonates with your story, right? So be thinking which of these biblical characters and their stories most resonates with my story. Because I hope what is, excuse me, because what I hope is that we'll notice uh, just so many of the the different ways that the biblical figures um, shared some of the same struggles that we have today, and yet how God was faithful to them, how he was present, and how he used them. So let's get going, here we go. Just a few chapters later in Genesis, we are introduced to Noah, right? The story continues. And at this point, violence has now covered the earth. The text even says that the thought of every person was only wicked continually. So for Noah, who's trying to follow the Lord, um, man, this had to have been a pretty scary and fearful situation living in a world like this. And then on top of that, you start building a giant boat because God tells you that the world is gonna be flooded, that's gonna end. Man, he must have felt um, pretty weird and pretty crazy doing this and following God in this. And yet, God showed his faithfulness and his care for Noah as he sheltered and covered his family from the flood waters that he used to righteously judge evil and wickedness and injustice in the world. A little bit later in Genesis, we find Abraham, who was a pagan idol worshiper when God called him out and said, follow me. Twice we see Abraham actually trying to sell off his wife in order to protect himself when fear got the best of him. So many of us might be like Abraham, right? Being maybe wrestling with deep fear and anxiety. And yet despite his fear, Abraham continued to trust God. We see God eventually blessing him and making him the father of God's chosen people because of his trust in Yahweh. A few generations after that, 
Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, experienced betrayal at the hands of his own family. His own brothers sold him in to slavery because they were jealous of him. Joseph experienced deep relational brokenness. Later on, he was falsely accused of committing adultery and then thrown in prison for it, where he sat for years seemingly without hope. Right, so Joseph is is suffering unjustly. Perhaps you've suffered some form of injustice in some way or another. And yet Joseph kept his eyes on the Lord and eventually the Lord rescued him. And he didn't just free him from prison. He raised Joseph to a position of prominence where he was second in command of all of Egypt. But even more significant and incredible than that, God gave Joseph a heart to forgive his brothers who had betrayed him years before, which brought reconciliation between him and his family. 400 years later after this, we get uh, eventually to Moses, right? Who we know from the text had, <clears throat> had significant anger issues. We see it early on in his life. He actually ended up, he murdered somebody in Egypt. Uh, we see it later on when they're wandering the desert. Moses just getting angry and actually being disciplined by God because of his anger. Moses also wasn't very eloquent of speech. We know that he felt like he didn't really have much to offer God. Perhaps that's you. And yet the Lord used Moses in his often shaky faith to set God's people free, right? To pass through the waters of the Red Sea to freedom. And then later on, while they were wandering the desert years later, it was out of a rock, it was out of the dust that the Lord threw Moses brought springs of living water to quench the thirst of God's people, to provide for and to sustain and to strengthen them. God used Moses despite his shortcomings. Rahab, right, the woman in Jericho, as the Israelites are beginning to take the promised land, uh, the woman in Jericho who was a prostitute, whether that was of her own doing or maybe she was forced into that occupation, we don't know, honestly, doesn't matter because despite her rough past, she professed faith in Yahweh and through her faith, the Lord used her to help protect God's people as they came into the promised land. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament even commends Rahab the prostitute for her faith because she wasn't strong enough to save or to redeem herself, but it was her trust in the Lord, her seeking to align herself with Yahweh that brought salvation to her to her household, and to Israel. Ruth, man, experienced the death of her husband, her father-in-law, her brother-in-law. She tasted firsthand the bitter fruit of the curse, right, the result of Adam and Eve's sin. And yet it was in the midst of this brokenness, as she looked to God's promises and placed her faith in God, that she experienced the goodness of God and saw it firsthand and the joy, and the life, and the blessing that can only come from him when we finally surrender to him. King David, man, just a poster child for for loneliness and for relational dysfunction. First, he was on the run from King Saul, the king who preceded David, who was vehemently trying to kill David on multiple occasions, right? We see David on the run, hiding out in caves, crying out to the Lord, many of those cries making up the book of Psalms that we read today. Eventually, David becomes king, 
but he eventually also commits adultery with Bathsheba and has her husband Uriah killed to cover it up. So much brokenness. Maybe you can relate. As David gets older, in a lot of ways, he fails to deal with and to discipline his children in a godly manner. And so he experiences later on infighting within the family and brokenness and relational dysfunction there. And yet, despite all this, all this brokenness, David continued to trust in the Lord. He placed his faith in the Lord. He made the Lord his refuge. Go read Psalm 51. So God remained faithful to David, even promising to David that there would one day be an offspring who would come from his family line, who would be a king over an everlasting kingdom whose reign would never end. Broken people with broken stories living in a fallen world, and yet we can clearly see that God is present and at work in their lives. He had not abandoned them, and it was through their faith and they're, they're clinging to him. They're crying out to him and nothing more that he intercedes for them, that he acts on their behalf, that he comforts them, that he uses them. I've heard from a few people, even just recently in this last couple weeks, in our church that Christmas is a hard time for them. Maybe that's you. For all sorts of different reasons, family, past experiences, loneliness, And so my hope for many of you who might be in that place or for many of you who are just fed up with 2020 knocking you around, it's been a tough year. My hope is that you would not let the ways that you've experienced the brokenness of the world paralyze you, but that they would instead move you closer to God. That instead of running from the Lord or trying to fix things on your own, you would embrace the God who has and who has loved us first and who longs to embrace us and be with us. That this Advent season, you would simply cry out to him. Ask him to help you. Ask him to be your comfort and your strength, to meet you where you're at. And as we do this, man, we are in good company. Just read your Bible. All those people we just looked at in the Bible, that's all they did. There was nothing special about them. They simply surrendered and trusted came to God believing that he was present and that he loved them. God's love is expressed most explicitly in the sending of his son. Advent season, here we are. And so Grace Hill, here's my plea to you. Please don't let Advent pass you by this year without pressing into the Lord, without embracing and listening to what the Lord might be teaching you or want to teach you or want to show you. Run to him, cry out to him. He loves you and his desire is to lift you up out of the dust and to fill you with his life, his joy and his purpose. We are all broken, but he has not abandoned us. He is with us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for Man, that glorious reality that you are with us, that you have not left us to our own devices. We don't have to sow our own fig leaves. God, you clothe us. You gird us with strength and with hope and peace. You don't ask us to do certain things. You don't ask us to measure up. You simply say, come, come to me. You who are are weary and tired, 
Lay your burdens down. So Father, may we just, and may we enter into this Advent season with a sense that this is a sacred time of year. It's a sacred and incredible moment to press into you and to hear what you have for us, to be led by you, to be comforted by you, to be unified together as a body, to lean on one another. So God, we thank you for your love. We give you all the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.